Our gospel reading for today comes from Matthew chapter 18. Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often shall I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, I tell you, but 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before the king, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and had him thrown into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Please be seated. I sometimes feel like we should, after that reading, we should say, is this the gospel of the Lord? (laughs) I don't know. Hmm. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Chances are many of us in this room and those of you joining online have said those words, I don't know, a thousand times? More times than you could count, probably. The words of the Lord's Prayer, many of them including those, have worked their way so deeply into our minds and our hearts that it may be impossible to forget them. When I visit people in hospitals, in nursing homes, in hospice, in crisis, in dementia or on deathbeds, sometimes people who can no longer remember where they are or who I am or who they are, they can still join when the prayer begins. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Today's parable is a kind of meditation on that theme, the same theme that Jesus gives us in the Lord's Prayer, the theme of forgiveness. Specifically on the mathematics of it, the equations of forgiveness. It's in other words not so much on the forgive us part of the prayer as it is on the as we forgive those who trespass against us, as we forgive, in the way that we forgive, in the manner, at the rate with which we forgive, the fervor with which we forgive, may we also be forgiven. And Jesus tells this parable because of a question that Peter asks about the math behind forgiveness 
because he would like some specific answers to work with. This is helpful information, right? Exactly how many times am I required to forgive someone who has hurt me? Peter offers Jesus what he probably thinks of as a fairly generous initial offer. How about seven times? And that's, that's a solid offer, don't you think? Like someone hurts you apparently repetitively, repetitively in the same way, and you offer forgiveness for that, that person seven times for the same offense. You know, and also seven is a pretty good biblical number, seven days of creation. Maybe Peter has it in his mind. He's willing to go up to as many as ten, like the Ten Commandments. If Jesus comes back with a counteroffer, that's not so good. Jesus then famously replies, not seven times, and not ten times, but 77 times. Or some translations will say 70 times seven. Whatever, it doesn't matter. The number is either way meaningless. What Jesus is really saying is, Peter, if you're counting, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Forgiveness is complicated. It raises a lot of questions, and few to any of them have easy answers. You can think of them. Are there things that cannot be forgiven? Can you really forgive and forget? Wouldn't endless forgiveness just encourage bad behavior? What about justice? What about consequences? Do we have the right to forgive things that are bigger than just one person to another, like the violence of war or the atrocity of slavery, as examples? What if forgiveness isn't fair? What if the other person isn't sorry? What if forgiveness just isn't possible? Now, I am not even going to pretend that one sermon can answer all those questions, unless you have like five hours. And even then, not really. So if I don't get to your question, I apologize in advance. But I suspect that Jesus' parable is meant to start a conversation, not provide a set of clear, pat answers. So you can consider today's sermon just part of a dialogue that's been going on for generations and will continue long after all of us are gone. You may know an author, researcher, and speaker by the name of Brene Brown. She became initially well-known for her work on shame and vulnerability, particularly for a couple of TED Talks that she gave on those topics. It's been her mission to help us see that being vulnerable with one another, having the courage to say the truth, and to hear the truth from others is one of our greatest strengths and acts of courage. She writes about leadership and connection and resilience. She says that her own goal in life is to be and to help others be awkward, brave, and kind. Now, in one of her books, Rising Strong, she has a section called Rumbling with Forgiveness. And I love that title because that is exactly what conversations about forgiveness feel like, like wrestling and struggle, a crashing, thundering, tumbling mess of emotions and ideas and questions. In that section, she writes that she tried as a researcher for years to write about forgiveness, but she couldn't find what she calls meaningful patterns in the data, which sounds boring. <laughs> But researchers got to research, right? They have to have real evidence 
about a phenomenon, what happens, why it matters, what it does. And she says, forgiveness just refused to be pinned down by research. Then she says, several years ago, I was at a church listening to a man talk about forgiveness. He was sharing his experience of counseling a couple who were on the brink of divorce after the woman discovered that her husband was having an affair. They were both devastated by the potential end of their marriage, but she couldn't forgive him for betraying her, and he couldn't seem to forgive himself either. They were stuck. The speaker then looked at all of us and said, in order for forgiveness to happen, something has to die. If you make the choice to forgive, you have to face the pain. You have to be willing to hurt. So with that in mind, I went back and read Jesus' parable again. Is there pain or hurt that we can find in this parable? A willingness to face it. There's a few details in the parable that don't necessarily jump out at us from their first century context, so I'm going to add those as we go. So you know how the story goes. A king decides he's going to collect debts from slaves. He must start with the person who owes him the most, makes sense, because the first slave he calls owes him 10,000 talents. Let's pause here for a second. One talent, just one, is equal to 15 years' worth of wages. If we take some median salary numbers for our area, that means one talent is equal to roughly $1.2 million. And this guy owes 10,000 of those, which, and this almost caught my calculator on fire, is $12 billion. Okay. You might as well say at this point, like a kid on the playground, this guy owes the king a bajillion dollars, <laughs> right? It is beyond realistic. It is not worth counting. How could a slave owe that much money? How could a slave borrow that much money? How does a king have that much money? I think we are beyond numbers here. None of this makes mathematical sense. But whatever, it's a story, so we'll go with it. The guy who owes a bajillion dollars falls down in front of the king and swears he will pay it back, which is not remotely possible. He would have to work every hour, every minute of every day for 150,000 years to keep that promise. And you know what happens. The king is moved with pity or compassion, and he forgives the debt. I mean, how can you even envision the relief that that would bring? The slave gets his life back, right? It's his future of endless toil and anxiety, digging out of a hole he can never even hope to see the top of, and he is handed his undeserved freedom. On the way out of the castle, the slave sees a friend. Now, you expect him to go up to his friend, dance over to his friend, weep and laugh and, and joyfully just grab his friend and say, you cannot believe what just happened to me. This is amazing. And he does run over and grab his friend. But using those same salary numbers we used, this forgiven slave remembers that his buddy owes him about $30,000, which is not a small number, but quite literally a drop in the bucket compared to what was just forgiven him. 
And yet he grabs him by the collar and demands that he pay back what he owe and then throws him into prison until he can pay back the entire debt. How his friend is going to earn any money from prison is a mystery. It's one of many questions we should be asking at this point. If you make a choice to forgive, something has to die. If you make a choice to forgive, you have to face the pain and be willing to hurt. The king must have known that recovering a bajillion dollars is not going to happen. The money is gone and would never be seen again. If we read even more into it, we could say the king probably feels kind of foolish for having given this slave that much money in the first place. He could have chosen debtor's prison simply as revenge or justice, punishment, for this fool who clearly has no money management skills and from any reasonable perspective should not be given a second chance or anybody's checkbook. But the king dies to his own power, his right to the money, his anger over the situation, his rational expectation of, if not revenge, at least justice. That must have hurt, at least a little. And the forgiven one? Well, he wouldn't have called himself that, would he? He doesn't want to be that. He will not die to his cherished image as a power player, someone who is owed the debts of others. He refuses to face the pain that he did not earn his way out of his debt. He can never pay back the gift he was given. He will always be known as the slave who was forgiven. Maybe it's too painful to see himself that way, undeserving, foolish, always now the recipient of something he didn't deserve. And so he lashes out against his own image, another person just like him who hasn't earned a second chance either, even if their sins pale in comparison. Brene Brown writes more. She says, the death that forgiveness necessitates comes in many shapes and forms. We may need to bury our expectations or our dreams. We may need to relinquish the power that comes from being right or the desire for the approval and support of others. Whatever it is, it has to go. It isn't good enough to box it up and set it to the side. It has to die and be grieved. That is a high price to pay, sometimes too high. Now, it's worth saying, albeit quickly, that forgiveness doesn't mean the hurt didn't matter in the first place. It doesn't mean there aren't consequences. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. One pattern of forgiveness, as outlined by Archbishop Desmond Tutu, says that practicing forgiveness is four steps. Telling the story, naming the hurt, granting forgiveness, and either renewing or releasing the relationship. Sometimes the relationship cannot survive, even when there is forgiveness. None of that is easy, to say the least. It is hard to admit how we hurt each other, or tell the truth about being hurt. 
It's painful to realize that we may have racked up debts against someone else that we can never hope to pay. If our collective struggle as a nation about the idea of forgiving student loan debt is any indication, we have a lot of feelings about forgiveness and who has earned it and who hasn't. And at the very least, today's parable shows us that struggle has been going on for a long time. But if we're still counting, then we're focusing on the wrong thing. So I'll leave you with these words from one last writer, Pastor Nadia Boltzweber. Christianity is basically a spiritual pyramid scheme of forgiveness. <laughs> it is bonkers. It is not fair. It is not what we would come up with, but it is the most true and beautiful thing in the world. As one forgiven sinner to another, I'll just say this. Whatever you might still be punishing yourself or someone else for, whatever habit or character defect or mistake or misspoken word or hurtful action or squandered opportunity, whatever it is, the punishment isn't working. It feels like torture, torture that lasts forever. It's just making you feel like you're doing something. You may put it down now. Because you're already forgiven. And so is everyone who has ever harmed or offended you. No, that is not fair. It's just the most true and beautiful thing in the world. Amen.